Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. My name is Nick Jonkowski. I do serve as the associate pastor here at Mosaic Church. And uh, we are excited to be announcing that in honor of the Olympic Games that are going to be kicking off here in just a few days, that we are beginning a brand new series today called The Games Running Your Race. And over the next four weeks, we're going to be examining how the Bible used sports metaphors to explain our Christian life. More specifically, as followers of Jesus, uh, we are called to seek a crown through faithfully running the race that God has laid out for us, through fighting the good fight of faith and working together as believers to advance the kingdom of God. But while it's true that sports metaphors can help us better conceptualize matters of faith, what is also true this morning is that we have no hope of transformation unless the Lord Jesus shows up in our hearts to speak to us this morning. All of us arrive together corporately in a place of needing the Lord to speak to our hearts and minds. So I want to pause before we begin this conversation to ask that you would join me in a moment of prayer and ask God to help us understand not only his word in our minds, but also our hearts. Would you join me as we pray? God, we thank you for the words um, that you've given to us in the Bible. Each of us, Lord, arrives here broken and flawed, myself included. And in our brokenness, we acknowledge that we require to both hear your eternal truths and to respond accordingly in faith. By the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, we humbly ask that you would speak directly to our hearts this morning. And we ask this all in the powerful and mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we're going to uh, be reading from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Specifically, I'd like to read from uh, verses 24 and 27. And if you have your Bibles or if you have your Bible apps, I would invite you to turn there with me now. Um, and just as a side note, I want to encourage you that if you don't bring your Bible, bring it. It's important for us as followers to be able to know and navigate God's word. And this is a great and very safe place to be able to do that. However, if you didn't bring your Bible, there is no judgment. You'll find these scripture verses actually printed on your song sheet that you received when you came in this morning. And so if you have your Bibles when you're there, say, I got it. And if you don't have it yet, say, hold up. No hold up? All right. So God's word says this in Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into very strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do, do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, do not, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body to make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I will not be disqualified from the prize. That is God's word given to us this morning. 
And this morning, I want to talk to us about this idea of finding purpose, specifically from 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. And as we're going to see in just a moment, that passage in Corinthians reads much like a modern-day pep talk that a coach might give to his team on the eve of a big game. And honestly, who doesn't love a great motivational speech? We've all heard or perhaps even personally experienced those incredible motivational speeches that a coach or a leader will deliver to a team that seems to just set their hair on fire, if you have hair, and and energize them to be able to run through any wall or obstacle that stands in front of them in order to achieve their goal. And the truth is, modern day sports are filled with incredible examples of these pep talks. But one of my all-time favorite pep talks comes from the Baltimore Ravens Hall of Fame linebacker, Ray Lewis. Now, Ray Lewis, during the 2012-2013 NFL playoffs, would gather his team together and begin his pregame pep talk by reciting a verse from the book of Isaiah in the Bible. More specifically, they would recite Isaiah 54, 17 over and over and over again. And it went something like this. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And they said that over and over again. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And while I'm pretty sure that Mr. Lewis's use of the passage was grossly out of context, because I don't think God had American football in mind when he was writing that verse, it nonetheless had a powerful effect of rallying the Baltimore Ravens around a common purpose of going on to achieving over uh, incredible odds to win Super Bowl 47 that year. I know that because one of the teams they overcame was the Denver Broncos. Yes, I don't want to get into that, but the truth is that a great pep talk can be an incredible motivational tool. It can, in fact, cultivate and inspire a sense of purpose. It can mentally focus an individual or a group of people during a big moment on the field. But the problem with a pep talk is this, is that a pep talk is limited to a very specific forum and function. More specifically, what makes a pep talk work, and indeed what often makes a pep talk so memorable, is that it incurs in those brief and rare monumental moments in life. If you were, for example, to give a fiery speech at the right moment, a coach could inspire his team to soar to incredible athletic heights, but take that same speech and give it during say, team stretching exercises, or perhaps during a water break during practice, and that same speech would fall flat to the team. I mean, can you imagine for a moment Ray Lewis gathering his team together and saying, no weapon formed against us will prosper as he's trying to remind them to wash their jock straps? Not quite as inspiring, is it? In other words, the power of the pep talk varies greatly depending on the circumstances we find ourselves in. And when it comes to mundane situations in life, it seems that even great motivational speeches can have a hard time inspiring people. So true it is for us who find perhaps our professional lives outside the realm of NFL stadiums. 
Oftentimes we exist in the tedious nature and daily routines of our lives that can leave us wondering if, like we're feeling wandering through life. Sure, it's easy to pump ourselves up when we face these big moments in life, like when we're trying to get ready to do an important presentation at work or when we're trying to make the varsity team at school. Those moments just tend to naturally lend themselves to a feeling of fulfillment and purpose in life. But just like the football field, those Super Bowl-esque moments in our lives are often few and far between and tend to exist in a vacuum that is separate from our daily lives. The truth is that more often than not, our existence is found in the monotony of everyday life. And it's in those moments when we're trying to survive a nine to five job Monday through Friday, when we're picking up the kids and going to and from band practice, when we're picking up after our spouse for the one millionth time, or when we're trying to complete a homework assignment for a class that we care nothing about, that it can feel almost impossible to find a sense of purpose in our existence. It might surprise you this morning to say that as a pastor, there are times that I struggle with feeling purpose in my life. Indeed, I am no different than you sitting here this morning. In fact, more often than perhaps I would care to admit, I often find myself wrestling between the realities of everyday life and this deep desire within my soul to be part of something larger than myself. Certainly like you, there are moments where I experience a taste of purpose in my life, moments when I'm able to help somebody in need, or moments when I see a teenager for the first time grasp how the gospel has the power to change their lives. In those moments as a pastor, I feel like Ray Lewis is yelling directly into my soul. But those moments are limited even for a pastor. More honestly, I've caught up in the things of paying bills, of balancing budgets, of coming up with schedules or determining what colors we're going to paint walls in a particular building that can absolutely suffocate my soul and leave me wanting so much to play a larger and grander place in the symphony of life rather than just feeling like my life is a one-off kazoo solo. The truth is, church, that sometimes I struggle to find purpose in life. And I have to imagine that if you're sitting here this morning, there's probably been seasons and times in your life, too, where you felt a lack of purpose. Those feelings of directionlessness can be detrimental to our lives as well. For many, it can evoke a sense of hopelessness, perhaps numbness, or maybe we encounter things in life that used to give us joy that no longer do so. That lack of purpose can also lead to other things in our lives like depression, anxiety, and especially when we're unable to feel like we are to able to escape from these feelings, this emptiness that surround us. Hello, 2020, 2021. Furthermore, it can isolate us from friends and family. It can lead us to feeling like we're lonely and we're cut off. As I've already said, living a life where you feel a lack of purpose can be suffocating to our soul. And so whatever the reason is, whatever the reason we find ourselves in those seasons, we all wrestle 
with purpose and existence in our lives. We all grasp for meaning at different experiences that we come across. We all grasp for reasons why things happen in our lives. And at the core of those questions, at the very core of those questions is the question of purpose. We ask ourselves, do I matter and why am I here? And the answer to that question, at least from a Christian worldview, is a resounding yes. Yes, you matter. Yes, God has a unique purpose for your life. But I think God in his incredibly infinite wisdom must have known that how easy it would be for us as flawed and broken human beings to lose sight of our God-given purpose in life. And that's why the passage from 1 Corinthians is so fun fundamental to our conversation on purpose this morning. It's God's powerful pep talk to remind us that we do indeed have an eternal purpose in every season of life and at every age of life. It doesn't matter if you're a teenager or a senior citizen or somewhere in between. It doesn't matter if you're single or you're married. It doesn't matter if you've got kids or no kids. This is God's reminder to us that whatever season we are in, there is purpose that we can find. So let's turn now back to our text and discover the amazing purpose that God has gifted to everyone who calls on the name of Jesus. As you turn there, let me give you some quick background of what's happening in our book this morning. The church in the ancient port city of Corinth had a major problem. They had lost sight of their purpose, their God-given purpose in life. And as a result, their misguided motives ended up leading to some very messy problems within the church, so to speak. In fact, things had gotten so bad at the church in Corinth that there were people sleeping with one another at the church. In fact, one guy was sleeping with his stepmom. Ugh, yuck is right. And there were a number of people that were still going to the local Greek temples to worship Greek gods and were sleeping with the temple prostitutes there. And to compound matters and make it even worse, there were people within the church, church of Corinth who were actually justifying this behavior and saying that they were free in Christ to do what they wanted because of God's unlimited grace in their lives. Talk about a very messy situation. Somewhere along the way, the believers in Corinth had got more focused on themselves instead of focused on their God-given purpose in life. And when the Apostle Paul gets wind of this fact that this behavior is going on in the church in Corinth, he pens the letter that we now know as the book of 1 Corinthians. And this letter tends to read like a short essay addressing different topics. But throughout the entire letter, there is an underlying theme that ties each of the individual sections together. And it goes something like this. In each section, Paul would address a problem that was going on within the church at Corinth. And then he would respond to that problem by presenting the good news of the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ. And he did this not only to remind the church at Corinth that they weren't living out what they actually said they were living, but more importantly, to draw their attention to the fact that the gospel of Jesus Christ is relevant to every area of our lives, including pointing to our true north or our God-given purpose in life. 
Which brings us back to our pep talk that God penned through the hands of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So let's revisit his words beginning in verse 24. He says this, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets a prize? Run in such a way to get that prize. I think all of us uh, by now, probably at one point or another, have seen the Hotels.com uh, commercials feature, featuring Captain Obvious. Everybody's probably seen those, right? I love those commercials, and they always end the same way, right? Where Captain Obvious makes some type of laughable, self-evident comment, and somebody always responds, what? Thank you, Captain Obvious, right? And I think when the believers in Corinth received this letter from Paul, and specifically verse 24, they probably had a similar response to Paul's statements because they were overly familiar with how races worked. They had seen them time and time again at the Ithmian Games, which were an athletic competition second in prestige only to the Olympic Games. So of course, Paul, we know what a race is. But Paul is driving it more than just a mere athletic analogy. Paul is talking about purpose, whether his audience recognized it or not. He's essentially saying this, hey guys, you know those races that you're so fond of at the games? Guess what? That's you. That's you. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, God automatically places you as a runner in his race of faith. And some of you are running like you don't know that you're part of a competition, while others of you might just be walking or crawling along in this race. But the truth is that God has given you purpose and called you to run with everything that you have. So Paul is telling this Corinthian believers that their lives indeed have a purpose whether they recognize it or not. And that word run in the Greek is actually called, uh, is uh, trecho, say trecho with me. And that means to run, but more specifically, it indicates a constant or continuous pace. And in classical Greek literature, they would use that word trecho to describe runners who were running in these races in giant stadiums before hundreds of adoring fans. And in order for a runner to be able to run successfully and finish triumphantly, it meant that they had to run in such a way where they gave everything that they had to that race. It required every ounce of their strength and complete intention was required. And this is what Paul has in mind when he's talking about this race in this verse. Paul is exhorting the believers at Corinth to look at their God-given divine purpose much the way a runner might view the finish line of their race. Rather than approaching that spiritual race as so many of them had done lazily or half-heartedly, Paul is challenging them to do everything within their power, everything within the power of the Holy Spirit to live a gospel-centered life. He's like a coach, again, giving that pep talk before the big game. And Paul is passionately urging them to never lose sight of the fact that they are called by God. Because in Paul's mind, crossing the finish line of faith should be what motivates every believer when they wake up every morning. 
How can I cross that finish line? And Paul wanted them to keep one thing at the foremost of their mind, one preeminent thing in their thinking. How can I finish the race? I must fulfill the purpose for which I was born. I must achieve the plan for which God has called me in my life. And likewise, church, this morning, if we are going to achieve the purpose that God has called us to in our life, there isn't room for any attitude other than an attitude of boldness and determination to keep running toward the goal with everything that we have and our eyes fixed on the finish line of our race. And that attitude, along with a holy dependence upon the power of the Holy Spirit, will take us through every obstacle we may face in life. If we face a season in life where we are dealing with monotony or the tedious nature of life, having our eyes fixed on the finish line can take us through that obstacle. If we are facing a situation in life where circumstances are constantly changing, if I fix my eyes on the finish line, I can go through that obstacle. If life is confusing and I'm not sure what direction I'm going, if I can keep my eyes finished directly on that finish line, I can run the race and end up in a place that God desires for my life. Church, the gospel invites us to participate in an incredible purpose-filled life. So my question this morning is, how are you running your race? Are you running like an Ithmian runner or perhaps like the Christians at the Church of Corinth? And Paul now pivots in his conversation not only highlighting the fact that the Corinthians' lives has purpose, but now pointing to the fact that that purpose has an eternity and a weight behind it. He says this in verse 25, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. 1997 was a banner year in my life. Not only did I graduate from high school in 1997, I got an opportunity to go to Australia on a mission trip. But more importantly than all of that, more importantly than any of that, the Denver Broncos won their first Super Bowl that year in 1997. And I don't remember who they played. It was some team in green and gold. It doesn't matter. But they won their first Super Bowl. And more than the game itself, I remember the raucous celebration that occurred afterwards. Myself and my friends, along with thousands upon thousands of other Denver Broncos fans, descended on the heart of downtown Denver to celebrate our beloved Broncos. And it was a surreal experience. But here's the thing about sports championships. They don't last forever. Eventually, the fans go home. Eventually, the ticker tape is swept up. And that amazing championship trophy gets retired to an exhibit to be a reminder of former glory. And that's exactly what Paul is speaking to here in verse 25. He's saying this, basically saying, you know all those athletes that you cheer for to run and win the championship as amazing as it is when they actually win, that moment of glory that they receive will eventually fade and over time even be forgotten. But as followers of Jesus, when we run the race of faith, we are competing in a different kind of race. We are running for a different kind of prize. 
We're competing for a championship that is eternal in nature. So specifically, what is this eternal prize that Paul is talking about? Well, to keep context in mind, we need to go back and consider what Paul says in some of the preceding verses leading up to 24 through 27. For the sake of time, I'm going to paraphrase this, but I encourage you to go back and read those verses um, in 19 through 23. And in those verses, Paul is talking over and over again. He says it multiple, multiple times. I run to win. I'm winning. I'm winning. And when he says he's winning, he says that to describe how he's willing to give up all his rights as well as his willingness to do anything to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. If Paul were here this morning speaking to you in the context of our Mosaic church, he might say that he was willing to do anything to make disciples that make disciples. Therefore, in light of the context of what Paul says in these preceding verses, it is right for us to interpret that some of that eternal prize is leading souls to Jesus in faith. And in the Bible, we are told over and over again that when we get to heaven, when we stand in eternity, that there will be rewards for those who faithfully finish the race of faith. Church, I don't know what all those rewards will be, but I do know this. I know that one of those rewards will surely be the reward of knowing that somehow God used us to bring someone to faith in Christ. Now imagine with me for just a moment, if you will, this picture. Imagine you are standing in eternity, walking in the streets of heaven. And as you walk, you see people that are there because you faithfully ran the race which Christ had marked out for you. Imagine the feeling knowing that you see people there because you were faithful to preach the truth of the gospel. Imagine seeing people that are there because you were faithful to love them sacrificially. Imagine that you see friends and family that are there because you were faithful to the race which God has called you. I can imagine no greater reward in all of eternity than to see those people there. And this is why, church, the eternal prize of winning souls to Christ is so important when it comes to living with purpose. Because every day when I get up, every day when you get up, church, you have an opportunity to live with an eternal purpose to make disciples that make disciples. That purpose supersedes any situation that we may face in life. It's bigger than the times when we feel like we're stuck in a monotony or the tediousness of life, because even in those moments, we still have a calling and a purpose to make disciples that make disciples when I feel like life is confusing and I don't know which direction my life is going, I still have a purpose to win souls to Christ. When I encounter situations in life that are constantly changing and I feel like I'm running to catch up, I still have an eternal purpose of winning souls to Christ. Church, every day is an opportunity to share the gospel in word and deed. Every situation that you encounter in life carries with it the weight of eternity. Every situation that you encounter carries with it the weight of eternity. And the gospel invites us to participate daily in that purpose-filled life. So Paul now concludes his metaphor on sports by 
turning to explain some of the rules and requirements needed to win the race of faith. And he has this to say beginning in verse 26. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body to make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. I think if Paul had been my high school football coach, this would have been the portion of the pep talk that he would have drilled over and over again into my mind. Check that. He would have slapped me first and then drilled this portion of the talk over and over again into my mind. Because the truth is that when it came to football, my friends and I loved the idea of winning a state championship, but we weren't willing to put in the sacrificial work that was required to do so. While other teams were hitting the gym and working out to get stronger, my friends and I were flexing beer cans on Saturday nights. While other teams were getting a good night's rest before the big game, my friends and I were staying out late smoking. I don't think that there would be many who would have said that we were very wise student athletes at that time. But in our immaturity at that age, what we had failed to realize is that just because we put on a football jersey did not in fact guarantee us victory or a state championship. And the same is true of our relationship of Christ. That is the comparison that Paul is making here. It's not an issue of salvation, church. When you come to faith in Christ, you are saved. But Paul is talking about winning that eternal prize. And he's saying to this church that while they realize, the Corinthians, that the runners in these games required a certain amount of discipline and self-sacrifice to be able to win and run these uh, races, they had failed to realize that there was a similar sense of self-control that was required to run and win the race of faith. Simply coming to faith in Jesus does not guarantee the eternal prize of winning souls to Christ. Why is that? Because if I speak one thing out of my mouth and I live a different way, when trying to proclaim Christ to the world around me, what do they see? A hypocrite. If I say one thing and I'm living a different way, they see a hypocrite. And that's what Paul means in verse 26 when he says, I don't want to be disqualified from winning the prize or winning souls to Christ. And we're disqualified when we speak one way like the Corinthians were doing and are living a different way as opposed to sacrificing for Jesus. Striving for greatness in their spiritual race would require a lifetime of self-control by willingly laying down their rights to serve others. And here's the temptation when you hear a verse like that. The temptation is that in our modern American minds, we hear that and we believe that it is within our own power and within our own ability to exert restraint over our sinful desires and thoughts. In our uniquely American spirit of independence, when we hear the word self-control, we tend to naively believe that we can simply just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And this mindset, church, can be so hindering to us running the race which God has set before us. Because the truth is, hear me on this, Self 
cannot control self. Self cannot control self in the spheres of moral and ethical behaviors, at least not for any significant amount of time. That's why Galatians chapter 3, verse 3 says this, How foolish are you? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human efforts? Ultimately, self needs to be subdued by a higher power, by a supernatural power, by the miracle-working power of the Holy Spirit, who alone has the ability to energize a believer, to be able to kill those, those sinful thoughts and desires that originate from ourself. So we'd be more accurate, theologically speaking, from this perspective of calling self-control, spirit control. We'd be more accurate in saying that it is not self-control, but spirit control. And that's why Galatians 5.16 tells us this. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. And then you won't be doing what your sinful nature requires. So church, I want to challenge you this morning. I want to ask you a question and ask you for a moment to be honest. What areas in your life are you failing to continually, habitually, and as a lifestyle practice spirit-enabled self-control? What attitudes or activities in your life are you keeping away from the power of God's Holy Spirit working in your life because you've believed the lie that you could tell yourself, I've got this handled. I've got this under control. And that might not necessarily even be a negative attitude or action. Our minds automatically go to those places and it's true that those things can hinder us and we need to release those to the power of the Holy Spirit. But sometimes a good thing can keep us from the best thing of being fully determined to run our race with every fiber of our being to the glory of Jesus Christ. So this church, I want this morning church, I want to challenge you with this. That if this morning the Holy Spirit is putting his finger on an area of your life and saying to you, I want control of this area. Give me control of this area. You don't have the power to take care of it. Let me empower you to walk victoriously in this area. If the Holy Spirit is putting his finger on an area in your life, do it, church, today. Do it, church, today. Don't wait for another day. Because today is the only day like today that you will have an opportunity to live on this earth your God-given purpose. Tomorrow is too late to do what you should do today. We need to, I need to get busy dying to self so that we can be supernaturally enabled to run the race that God has set out before us for Jesus Christ. So that we can experience the reality of Galatians 2.20, which says, I have been crucified with Christ so that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life in which I now live in the flesh, I live by the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Church, self-sacrifice and dying to self is hard on this side of life. But I promise you, according to God's word, man, we will not regret it when we stand before the King of Kings in eternity and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. 
the gospel invites us to participate in eternally purpose-filled life. So I want to close quickly with this. The gospel invites us to participate in an eternally purpose-filled life. And if that is indeed true, why is it that so many people, Christian and non-Christian alike, seem to be adrift in the sea of life, wandering aimlessly, searching for something to give their life meaning and purpose? There may be a multitude of different reasons for this, but I believe one of the biggest reasons is that as flawed and broken human beings, we are so easily distracted by lesser races. We are so easily distracted by lesser races in life, so much so that I believe that we tend to bear a striking resemblance to Doug the dog in the movie Up. For those of you who've seen what I've, what I, that movie, you know what I'm about to say. We can have a laser-like fulfillment um, a lock on God's purpose in our lives on one moment, and the next then be completely distracted by a squirrel. We can be focused on what God has for us, and the next be caught up in a lesser race. And life has no shortage of squirrels, church, that will distract you and take you off course from your race with Jesus. And this doesn't mean, again, that necessarily these distractions are inherently evil. For example, politics is a huge conversation in our culture right now. And while it's good and right for us as Christ followers to know and be aware of what's happening in our country, we get in trouble when we begin to derive our purpose from our political affiliations. I dare say that we have been distracted when we are more concerned about what's happening in the White House than we are about people who are dying and going to hell. The same is also true of social media. Social media is an incredibly powerful tool. We can use that tool to leverage connection between people to drive business. It's an amazing time that we live in. But when we become more focused between our likes and the people that are following us, and we're not as concerned about dying to self so that we can sacrificially love others, we have been distracted by a squirrel. The same is true of our jobs, of our relationships, and of our hobbies or anything else that might distract us from putting our full determination and running the race that God has set before us. So how do we run with a focus on that finish line? I want to give you one practical thing this morning that I think we can do walking out of here, is that when you encounter a season in life where you feel a lack of meaning or unfulfillment, I want to challenge you to stop and ask a question. When you feel a lack of purpose in your life, stop and ask yourself, what am I running after? Because the truth is, every one of us is running after something. Every morning we get up, we're pursuing things that we believe will bring meaning and purpose to our lives. But if we can stop and determine when we feel that lack of purpose, that it's anything less than God's given purpose in our lives, we can recognize that we've gotten off course and we're chasing a lesser race. And it's an opportunity in that moment to pause and ask the Holy Spirit to once again align us with God's purpose in our lives. So the gospel invites us to participate in a life filled with purpose, dedicated to winning others to Christ and to living a spirit-enabled self-control. Church, this morning you have purpose. God has uniquely called you to do something that only you can do in this life. 
So I exhort you this morning in the same way that Paul exhorted the believers at Corinth, run. This week, church, run with everything you have to win that eternal prize. Run and don't look back. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.